five in the eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it news? Hello and a very warm welcome to episode zero two of five in the eye. This is Phil Woodford in London and you're listening, of course, to Colourful Radio. This is me, Michael O'Hajuri, joining Phil via Zoom for your weekly news review show. And February is just packed full of interesting guests. Last week it was our friend Olu and today is the turn of our French bureau chief, Julie MacDonald. Joining us all the way from Paris, uh, bonjour. Comment allez-vous, Julie? Bonjour, Michael. Hi there, Phil. It's great to be back on Five in the Eye. And I can reveal that our first story this week is going to be all the fallout from Brexit. Moving goods around has become harder than ever. Scotland seems set to force another independence vote. And could we even see the prospect of a united Ireland on the horizon? In the eye. Story number two, we turn to the royal family. Apparently, Her Majesty the Queen and her heir, Prince Charles, have been quietly vetting pieces of legislation for years, and sometimes it seems as if they had them changed in their favour. And our third story, well, it's the extraordinary Paris Council meeting that hit the headlines in the past week. We don't have the cool, calm and collected Jackie Weaver on the show, but we do have an old pal of mine, John, who can tell us how commonplace this kind of local, these kind of local rows are in reality. For our fourth story, we discuss COVID-19 and plane travel. As one airline says you don't have to wear a mask if you're lying down, some people have been trying to sneak into the UK by the back door, doing what's known as the Dublin Dodge. And finally this week, to wrap up the show, Julie helps us to understand the eating habits of her French pals. Eating Aldesco at the office was, wait for it, illegal across the channel until coronavirus came along. Oh, oh sorry, 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 I'm going, oh, oh, sorry. Oh. And of course, I would never eat Aldesco. That's this week's Five in the Eye. Five in the Eye. Well, we're going to kick off this week with the aftermath of Brexit. Now, this seems like a great discussion to have with our French bureau t- chief, uh, Julie MacDonald, because not only can she give us the, the view from Paris, now that we've gone our separate ways and the transition period ended, um, but she can also give a perspective as someone who grew up in Northern Ireland, uh, a, a place that's very much at the centre of all the ongoing debates. Uh, this famous Article 16, for instance, that was built into the um, to, to the, the, the agreement that was signed, and um, the fact that supermarket shelves in in some parts of Northern Ireland and are looking a little bit on the woefully bare side, Julie, and that's all put down to Brexit, isn't it? What's your take looking at it from Paris and with your contacts in Ireland? What's, what's your take now on how it's going? Well, it's chaos, isn't it? I mean, um, and, you know, it's it's been a while, obviously, since I've been back home, but I am hearing reports of... Uh, you know, a feeling of being uh, abandoned. And certainly I can say much closer to home that the uh, Marks and Spencers at the Gardelais, the shelves are are impressively empty. Um, they still have been, so it's not all bad. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know why we, I mean, we saw this coming, didn't we, Phil? I mean, it was never fully resolved. Uh, you know, Theresa's backstop, um, which could potentially cover the UK as a whole. And then, you know, no border down the Irish Sea. And um, 
And the, the, I mean, the most important thing and that everyone I've spoken to is determined that there will be no hard border in Ireland ever again. I mean, that just takes us back to the to the bad old days. But I mean, the Good Friday Agreement um, back in 1998, we remember it well, don't we? I mean, it's 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 as much uh, part of the constitutional arrangements of the UK as um, as the Magna Carta, isn't it? I mean, I don't know. I don't see why it should be tweaked now. It's it is it as it is. No hard border, and so we've got to um, sort this Irish well, sea situation I mean, out. When, when you say no, no hard border. I mean, the, the EU Commission was dangerously close to introducing the hard border that they said they would never stand for within a, a very short space of time over the vaccine question, weren't they? Which caused um, in Dublin and a number of European capitals where this had never been discussed. And then, of course, Boris Johnson is keen to invoke Article uh, 16 as well uh, when, when it comes to the... Um, uh, when it comes to the issues of um, movement of goods and so on. I mean, how big a risk really is this, do you think? Um, well, I mean, that... Surely that, we'd that, never go back to those days. No, I don't think so. And that whole EU thing, well, I mean, that was clearly a moment of panic, wasn't it? I mean, everything had been going as, you know, we, the EU looking across the channel going, well, we're not in a complete state of um, disarray the way they are. And then all of a sudden they go, hang on, what's happened here? You know, and... We've had many conversations about why the vaccine rollout in the EU is um, way behind the UK. I mean, it's a big structure to, to sort out the EU, isn't it, compared to the UK? But um, there are also um, cultural attitudes to um, vaccines, which I, admit I wasn't aware of before. But I mean, the, the EU pulled back very quickly on that and said, OK, that was a mistake. We didn't mean it. We didn't mean it. And, um, it was to do with paperwork, to do with delivery of of vaccines but of course you only need to say that and the tabloids are going to make a meal of it for the, the following months aren't they saying that we were right the whole time and we don't need the eu look what a complete mess they're making of things so um i mean my feeling is that this will rot back into place but um you know um maybe maybe we're looking at some um, at more cross-border um, cooperation in that case, and what's that going to bring us to? Julie, I think I think you're on the money there when you say all rock back into place. My concern is how long was it going to take? Now, Ursula van der Leyen was really great when she came up. She said, "Off, oh, we were wrong. We're going to get it sorted." We've got reports from the um, the um, transport the the lorry people saying that that business is going wrong the the british but the, the boris's government say no it's okay i guess that was what was, that, that was what was so refreshing about van der Leyen when she said we're wrong get it sorted was in britain we're still kind of brexit's fine it's all sorted but it's not as beautiful as it seems you know well, that's exactly problems. that's exactly I, I think, it my, my view is i'm sorry i think to your point time Time and this COVID thing kind of makes things more dramatic. But I just believe that in time it's going to be sorted. Yeah, I I agree. And from looking at you across the the channel, I think that's the the only way. I mean, um, it's it's just so extraordinary that these dramatic things should happen at the one time, um, or at least should have should be converging like this because it just changes everything. It's impossible. To have a look at uh, to to look at these two situations 
um, independently one of the other. I mean, it's it's uh, you know we're looking at the we're looking at the backstop. We've been talking about the backstop for four years. We've been talking about vaccines for a year, and suddenly you know the combination blew up into this crisis, and and now like everything, it's settling back down again. We're looking at a scientist saying no one's safe till everyone's safe. Scientists are are intervening, saying can we just stop this and get on with getting people vaccinated and finding out why people, some people that want to be, finding out what the problem is for those who do want to be. We had the health minister vaccinated recently, um, naked from the waist up, which was, of course, you know, a good photo opportunity. Um, no, I've, I've, but, warned Mike, I've warned Michael about that. It's not appropriate, Mike, when well, you have you know, yours. Every, well, quite. Make sure you, you bring sleeves that can be rolled up. Nothing no, is do, too do, 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 do you think there's a perfect, almost like a perfect storm here? In terms of vaccines moving across borders, Northern Ireland being a border and a contention, that, that that the EU didn't order enough vaccine, and they admitted it, they did not order enough. They were was the one thing, and I say this up front: Britain got it right. We ordered, we ordered, and we did it right. And but but I, I go back to Van der Ursula's Ursula saying, "Okay, sorted. We were wrong." My problem is. How long is this going to take? You know, till we actually get normalised? Do we kind of there is a kind of a relationship with with, with the European Community and cross a border? But, but but there's another there's another spanner in the works. I would say there are some people who don't want normalisation. They want further change, and so you could look to Scotland. Oh. Nicola Sturgeon doesn't she as an opportunity? I mean, both uh, the Brexit issue and COVID come together for her as well as an opportunity to say, um, actually, we want to have another vote on independence, probably as early as this year if they win the uh, if the SNP, as expected, win very well in the uh, Holyrood elections, and then we've got the prospect of you know Sinn Fein. Uh, lobbying in both the Republic and the North for um, some kind of uh, poll uh, in due course that could lead to the reunification of Ireland. Now, these are th- these were things that we went back a few years seemed unthinkable, mm. but now are they possible, Julie? What do you think? I think <clears throat> I think they are possible now. I think that um, as you know, uh, the, the situation has. The situation has prevent has presented itself. I mean, the 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 um, the other nations have looked on at what's been happening, mainly in England, since uh, the whole uh, Brexit thing, and they're going, "What's what? How did this happen?" For a start, then secondly, the whole uh, the COVID issue, where it was it appeared, and it seems that the, the whole um, virus, the, the pandemic, was managed so badly by the the UK, and the other nations are going, "Well, look." You know, it's not like that with art. You know, what we should be managing this on our own. It was just very, very messy. But um, it, so I think that I think that Ireland and Scotland are thinking now is the time. I'm not entirely convinced. I think it's more time because it's all about time, as Michael says. I think more time has got to pass. I can see a united Ireland on douce because in the practically speaking, on douce, you know, on uh, you know, not sort of gently without much fuss oh on, no 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 by stealth secretly by stealth there you go and um, fill all no, the time no, 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 no. nothing happening northern Ireland happens on deuce oh you'd be a, you'd be it surprised happens big deuce. 
It's big deuce. You know? <laughs> so I can't know. I, I can't. You mean with fireworks? I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I can see, I can see, <laughs> I, I can see there being a general mood to change and I can see how moderate unionists after Brexit, you know, maybe looking to the Republic and, and, and the EU and seeing the grass greener economically and so on. And so I can see all of that, but there are surely still going to be a hardcore of unionists that would be very numerous, that would never, ever no, accept course, it. And then what, what, course, what, exa- but, what exactly but, but, are we going to do I'm about sorry. that? I'm I don't sorry, know. Phil, the, the old demographic time bomb, you know, the, let's see, the, there are fewer of them. There, there are, are few, fewer of them. There are few, and they're, get, and they're getting fewer. So, you know, it's, um, it, 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 having said that, it could be, as, as, as Julie says, it could be on deuce slowly over time as, 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 the, as the Catholics replicate. <laughs> well, so the Protestants uh, as, reduce. Well, as people care less about nationalism of any kind, as they they want to live well, and um, mm. you know, look at look at the immense strides that have been made in the Republic over. I mean, since I was growing up in Belfast mm. in the seventies, I mean, to be honest, the discrimination was appalling. There was a dreadful situation in the north of Ireland. But did we really want to be united with a with a theocracy? <laughs> Now things have changed out of all proportion. Um, Northern Ireland, you know, it's been up until recently a backwater in terms of social advances. But no, no, that's I'm, improving. No, no, Judith, I'm just minded of, of uh, Ian Paisley's voice. You know, that booming voice, that Protestant voice. You know? Never. <laughs> never. Yeah. <laughs> just, so you're right. That the- I never thought there was a theocracy, but that's, that's an interesting way. <laughs> I would say never say never. We, we 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 never say never we never say never on five in the eye, but we, we do often say we need to move on. Five in the eye. Story number two this week is about the royal family. The royal family, Michael. Yeah, tell us tell us about Thank this you. Prince Thank Charles you. and the Queen this vetting is, legislation. This is this is a truly amazing story in the sense that we thought that that, that the Queen was just a token figure that that that, that she read that speech out at the opening of Parliament. And she she was given the words to say, but we find out now. But she has influence on those words, that she's actually given a selection of of laws or potential laws that might impact her and her family. And she's given I don't think it's quite the, the right to veto, but she's she's asked to comment, to actually say a few words. Does is, is Mom okay with this? And that seems, forgive my words outrageous we're a democracy we don't go to some some woman in a million pound hat to see if she's happy with this law and when it really came home to me was i i I, sorry michael i was just gonna say i binged you can be rude and interrupt me then phil i'll I'll, I'll cede to you i'll I'll concede to you thank you thank you yeah i was uh i i binge watched the crown uh with mrs w over christmas uh, and the new year all 40 Eps of it, or the crying, the crying, as I call it, and uh, it was. Um, it, we never saw Her Majesty or Prince Charles doing this vetting of the legislation. For some reason, that never cropped up. So I was a bit, I was a bit shocked. Uh, I mean, that, another example of the Crown kind of hiding away the truth, possibly about the royal family. Are Sorry to interrupt you, that, Michael. Are you telling me that the crying is not a documentary? <laughs> it does seem to be somewhat lacking in 
um, elements of veracity, Julia. I, I won't put it stronger than that. Because um, let me tell you that across the channel, we we fall for it hook, line, and sinker. People adore the crime, and um, you know they think that it's all absolutely verbatim, and it must be the truth. Yeah, well, we we know her Majesty is worth um, several hundred million quid, but apparently she was keen to billion, keep that billion, billion, under wraps, wasn't right. she? This was. At least she's ashamed of it if she wants to hide it. She's ashamed of it, which is so that's why she that's why she wants to hide it, because um, a lot of a lot of this stuff seems to be about um, tweaking legislation to make it a little bit more palatable for the royal family, so that if it meant that they'd have to reveal their assets and wealth, maybe not. If it meant that they would have to sell the uh, freeholds of properties to their tenants or something, uh, no, maybe not. Um, and this does seem very feudal, doesn't it? Uh, you can imagine um, someone looking at this from uh, a genuine democracy, dare I say, from somewhere in continental Europe. They might think this this is very feudal. Well, but for me, it just puts a mockery, this, this thing called the constitutional monarchy. <laughs> no, a constitutional democracy. So the fact that it's wrong. It's wrong. You know, the, the fact that the Queen has the right to kind of veto the laws of laws of laws of the land. That, that, they that don't have it in. They don't have it in in Spain or the Netherlands or Denmark, do they? Well, well okay. Let me show that we don't know. We, we didn't know this was happening in Britain. Aha! Uh -huh. They seem to have I their mean, the, in, royal in the, families. In the, all Netherlands, under in the Netherlands, the royal family kind of hop on the tram and stuff, don't they? So, of course they do. Uh, or yeah. get, get on their get, get on their bikes. So you couldn't, you wouldn't, you know, take take their views on legislation very seriously. Whereas I if mean, you're holed up in Windsor Castle and you're like Her Majesty, obviously you're there's a lot of cap doffing and uh, deference. Well, quite yes. I mean, um, the Spanish and the the Belgian royal family send their children to my old school, so you know, not posh, by the way. I'm going to say, you know, we don't know, we don't know, and and the, and dare I say, at the risk of being uh, conspiratorial, the, the royal families of Europe still belong to uh, institutions that go back to the Middle Ages. You know, so uh, as a club, they know each other. So they're talking to each other. So if one does one, I'm not saying they do, but I would not be surprised that they wouldn't pass those practices on to others across Europe. Well, this is all very disappointing, and I'm not going to tell my fellow Republicans in this household what the truth might be. <laughs> That's a lovely way of putting it, disappointing. And, and Julie, I'm with you. I was disappointed because it's just, I, I thought, you know, you know, she's the, the queen sat there, you know, and, and the parliament put words into her mouth. But it's not yeah. as simple as that. It's not. Yeah. You know, well, we, I mean, she'd gone up in my estimation since she parachuted into the Olympic Stadium or, or whatever it was. But um, I'm going to have to rethink that. Mm. Mm. Phil, are you rethinking, Phil? Or have you moved on? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's completely unacceptable in a modern democracy that the royal family get this. Kind of, I can't think of any possible occasion for it. Um, and, uh, you know, the more that comes out, the more it undermines their credibility. And I don't think it does Prince Charles much good to to hear that he's been involved in it as well, mm. um, because I'm not quite sure the, the public is very warm to him and um, probably even less so after the crime. I, I know time's not our friend now, but the BBC have not talked about this at all. 
The Guardian's the, 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 the Guardian's the only one who's led on this. It's not appearing any. I'm not seeing it in the Times, the Telegraph. You know, maybe this is just too hot to handle. Yeah, I think that. I think that's probably Ooh, that, that is probably the old the old journalistic convent the old journalistic convention of it being the Guardian's scoop and them not wanting to like uh, to to tread on their toes. And they there's often quite a lot of that goes on in uh, in the national media. I think. But if the, if it's a scoop for the Guardian, does that not mean that most of the population haven't even heard about it? Probably. But they've heard about it now because it's on five in the eye. Absolutely. It's our absolute duty to inform, educate and entertain. Educate. Thank, thank you for that, Julie. <laughs> Moving on to story number three. Five in the eye. For story number three, well, I, I couldn't believe this story. and I, I still don't understand it. it it's it's the, uh, that council meeting in, in Hanforth where, 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 the, where the wonderful Jackie Weaver tried to bring order to these people who were shouting order and, and demanded she read the orders. I was totally confused. I looked at the way Jackie handled it. So I had to invite a friend of mine, a friend of mine who's, who's actually on a district council who has these kind of meetings. So, so John, John, help me. What's going on there? What, what was Jackie Weaver trying to do and trying to bring these people together? It just seemed bizarre. Well, it, it, it was a bit bizarre. And uh, um, one of the things that uh, I, I've yet to properly comprehend, I mean, she, she was parachuted in for re- reasons that I'm not entirely sure of, because she wasn't uh, the normal clerk, I think. And uh, But um, as, as was uh, screamed at her at one point, uh, read the standing orders. The standing orders are basically the constitution of the council. And... Uh, and she doesn't really have authority in, in, in the way she exercised it, I don't think, to, to just chuck the chairman out. I mean, she has become a bit of a, 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 a sort of a, an internet sensation. Um, uh, but I, 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 I feel quite sorry for the parish councillors and the way they were treated, really. Uh, I mean, she, uh, he, the chairman is the person that um, controls these meetings. Uh, they are supposedly elected. A lot of them aren't because um, you can't generate the interest in the in the area in these small ones to get people to vote for you. So they just second people. So uh, and and the clerk is employed by the parish council. To uh, she does have certain uh, duties in terms of advising them about finances and making sure the accounts are properly. But she doesn't. I, she doesn't have the authority to just sack the chairman. No, but I'm going to say, John, it was about order. There was no. He was just seemed. He seemed an angry old man. <laughs> well, I, I think. I think he was. I, I think he was getting very frustrated, and uh, and uh, um, and I thought her the way, the way she handled it, although uh, quite cool. In uh, uh, you know, I mean, she was certainly uh, very practiced at this at controlling uh, uh, um, you know uh, uh, rebels. <laughs> that that um, uh, I, I I I don't know. I mean, I, I I don't think what she did was right. John, when you when you think about this happening outside the pandemic, I mean, if this parish meeting had been held pre-COVID, it would have been in the real world. And at that stage, I mean, her ability to eject councillors from the meeting would have been non-existent, would it? I mean, it's, it's, it's only because it was held on Zoom, presumably, that she has the possibility of doing she this. She had kind of the thing. power, yes. And uh, she obviously 
was fairly deft at using Zoom because, I mean, if I wanted to check somebody off, I'd be fumbling around for five minutes before I managed to do it. She she managed to do it just just without a, a hesitation. So, um, uh, yes, I mean, you're quite right. So she had that ability, which she would not have had in, in real life. Um, uh, there would that have been a, a storming out and a, a shouting match. And, and, and in the end, the meeting would never have got started. And the point that the chairman was making about the fact that a point of order is not relevant before the meeting starts, because the points of order are about the conduct of the meeting. And if the meeting hasn't started yet, then, well, you know. Uh, and so he was quite right. I mean, was... but, but, John, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, John. It just looked blokes against a decent woman yes, it was, it was all the way at the end uh, all, all, all the all the the women sided with uh, um uh, jackie weaver and i i don't know whether that was just you know uh, they felt that she was being i mean she, she clearly could um, um fend for herself and didn't need unnecessary backing so I, I don't don't know about the dynamics of of that particular parish council obviously every parish council is different I mean, you know. Julie, do you, do you have an equivalent of a parish council in France? Because I mean, this is this is the most local form of government that we have in the UK. And as John's indicating, maybe uh, in the local village or hamlet or wherever it is, these people are they can't even rustle up anyone to stand, let alone you know have a competitive vote. Is, is there any equivalent in in, in France at a local level? Yeah, of course there is. There's the um, the conseil, the local councils, and um, you know, we regularly get messages through the letterbox saying, please come, you know, mm. turn up and say something. It's very different in a in an arrondissement in Paris compared to a tiny little village uh, somewhere in the heart of um, La France Profonde. But I have to say that the Brits are, are uh, great at this kind of thing. And uh, the ones that are that managed to um, slip in before the 31st of December and who've settled in France are bringing those villages back to life with their... Um, um, how can I put it, with their dynamism and their <laughs> adherence to points of order. You know, I'm all for it. I mean, the, the nearest equivalent for me is a parent-teacher meeting full of uh, Brits and Americans, and that turned out, um, that can be quite ugly at times. And, I mean, John... The, the, fr- it, the French, it, sorry, the French have surely well, never heard of a point of order, have they, Julie? I mean... We have brought it to them. The French debating society, points of order, even points of information. But my query to the expert that we have on this is, isn't, isn't being rude and bullying, uh, doesn't that deem a point of order? I mean, can't you just say, right, that's rude, out. Yes, I'm sure are, they would here. Well, there are standards of contact, uh, con, um, conduct. And if, if, if a councillor is deemed to be, uh, you know, constantly disrupting meetings and, and just generally being a, a pain in the bottom, then... Um, uh you can report and i think jackie weaver does uh, make reference to this at one point about reporting it to the monitoring officer and the monitoring officer is basically the solicitor at the district council that um uh, she would uh, judicate on their behavior and and if necessary they can be uh, removed from the council but it, i mean it's a bit of a long procedure and it doesn't happen very often uh, mostly everybody uh goes away and uh, calms down and and hopefully at some point starts to behave in a rational way. 
One final point before we leave this, John, Jackie Weaver's actual role. I mean, she seemed, I mean, she's now famous because Andrew Lloyd Webber has written a song about her. Yes. And, uh, she's, she's, all, she's all over the web and everyone knows Jackie. But I mean, she seems to have some kind of weird troubleshooting role where she's sent in by a confederation of councils in situations where things have got a bit sticky. Yeah, and, there, uh, there, was, there, was cl- there was clearly history to this, uh, which I, I, I've, I have to say I'm, I'm not... Uh, I, I don't know about uh, what led up to this this particular you know, falling out, but clearly there, there, there was something going on that that, that uh, you know it wasn't it wasn't just people falling out on the day. There, there, there was uh, there was a lead up to this, <laughs> which I don't know about. I'm afraid. So do you reckon there was some previous some kind of angst before? There, there, there was clearly something going on. Well, yeah. look, okay. We, 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 sadly, we're not going to find out about today on Fire the Eye, but John, I want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experience as, as an experienced counsellor. <laughs> as an experienced counsellor. So, well, a pleasure. So I want to thank you for that, John. And, and now we're going to move on to story number four. Five in the Eye. Story number four this week is about plane travel. Cafe Pacific has said that it's okay for premium passengers to remove their masks uh, on the plane when they're in reclined into a flat position. Now, this doesn't seem to be based on much uh, kind of medical or scientific know-how, oh, as far as I can, as far as I can sorry, tell. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put on my, my, my physics hat here. The, the, a plane is probably one of the safest places to be in, with other people now because they circulate the air, they filter the air so vociferously you know 99.99 percent of 99.9 percent of viruses are removed in that in, as the way they're circulated so it's in some ways this is good news this is positive in terms of there's a reason to fly because it's going to be you know you're not going to if someone sneezes woof, the their the breath is literally taking away it's taken away so this is good news phil i'm sorry michael i've, I've never been one to ch- challenge your, your knowledge of physics because I, I i do appreciate that i failed my uh, i failed my own level but uh surely the air is circulating around you in the in the cabin long before it gets sucked away and filtered well, and well, i would be breathing in anyone's so in some ways when you go into a supermarket or you go into a library where the air just sits there with no air conditioning that is a much more covid hostile environment than a plane Hmm. Yes, Julie, I, I mean, I, if you, I you, do you fly this. premium on Cafe Pacific, Julie? Uh, well, uh, you would be amazed, but it has happened, not for 30 mm. years or mm. something. I once won a ticket uh, from Paris to Manchester on the Cafe Pacific flight for the car- for the Paris to Manchester leg before it flew off to Beijing. So um, I have flown Cafe Pacific and I didn't uh, lie down. Um, I agree with Michael on this plane thing because, of course, I work with physicists, but not only that, I made absolutely sure because I, before I got on a plane this summer. You've flown. So you've actually I flown. I have flown. Uh, say this summer, last summer. Yes, I flew within Europe. I flew from Paris to Malaga uh, with nothing uh, to report. It was indeed, and I was reassured many times that it was the safest way to travel uh, on several levels. My question is, who is on these long haul flights and where are they going? That's can, the can, issue. Can, can I, when they no, get off at the other end, I think. No, Julie, they're all flying to Dublin to get into Britain. It's the back door into Britain. They all, we, we are the, now that Brexit is over, 
we're the future of the world. And if everyone is coming to us to do deals, to buy things, to negotiate, to be educated. Britain They're is the flocking future. In. Sorry? They're flocking in. Exactly. Well, Mike, Dublin. Michael, you're referring to the so-called Dublin Dodge, which is this idea that you're coming from some corona hellhole outside the UK. I don't know why it would be more hellish than the UK itself, but apparently there's this red list of hellish corona countries that you shouldn't be coming in from. And so what you do is you you fly to Dublin instead, and then you're just a hop, skip, and a jump away from being in the UK. And it looks like you've come from Ireland rather than from wherever it was you originally hailed. And the government's trying to clamp down on this, aren't they? Um, quite rightly, I'm sure. Hang on a sec, Phil. What passports do you have? <laughs> I have I have a British passport and an Irish passport. Do you need what passport? Uh, I'm do very you have? fortunate in that regard. I have a British passport and an Irish passport. And and I have uh I am entitled to a French passport. So 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 here you guys just wander around Europe really nearly. So the Dublin Dodge is just, you know. For me, I think you should forget these border controls because there's no point. Because they got people like you with, with multiple passports, people coming from the, from UAE or whatever. You know, blocking borders is not the way to, um, to 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 stop the virus. Quarantine, bang, that's it. You're coming into my country. You've got to be wherever you come from, whatever passport you've got, into quarantine. Done. Well, here's a question for both of you. This this week, Grant Shapps announced that if you lied on a COVID form about um, where you'd come from uh, to, to circumvent our quarantine regulations. You could do a 10 stretch in the scrubs. Now, it, it, some people have pointed out that, um, you know, you get five years maximum for actual bodily harm. And, uh, and so, but if you fill out this form incorrectly, 10 years, um, what, what are your thoughts on that? A little bit of an overreaction on the, on, on the UK tad, government part? A tad and a little bit of, uh, you know, I'm sorry if you're going to uh, penalise people for lying, um, you know, or 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 being creative with the truth. Yeah, you need to be very careful what your story is before you start laying down the law. It's completely ridiculous. I mean, it's headline news today, isn't it? And um, you know, for for it's it's more than you get for for rape. I mean, it's it's completely. It's completely ridiculous. I mean, you can, you know, you talk about dicing with death. I mean, if you're on a plane, as as uh, Michael has pointed out, so scientifically, you're uh, probably less risk than people coming into the country in other ways. I mean, the whole quarantine thing to me, I mean, you look at what's happening in Australia, it's not really working all that successfully, is it? I mean, we still haven't really found a strategy to, to do, 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 keep things at now. bay. Come on. You've, got, you've talked about rape. Phil's talked about uh, what was he talking? Was it death or something? Phil was talking about. Listen, if 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 an infected person comes in with some strain that we don't know, that the current that the current uh, the current vaccines can't accommodate, then he's, he's, he has, that person has the potential to kill tens. I mean, of thousands, obviously, obviously. Of th- so so this is important. Well, obviously, quarantine is important, but it's be it's not being well managed. Is my point? No, no, mean, no, you're right. Even but, in but, countries where it. But but the ten years reflects the gravity of the situation. This is this is this is not these these are not normal times. 
Okay, well, I think we, we've probably strayed into something a little bit. It's my fault. I fully accept it's my fault. We may have strayed into something a little bit more serious than we intended. Uh, we weren't going to take this lying down um, unless we were in Cafe Pacific, premium class, of course. But we'll leave I this think now you can do until... That Five in the eye. <laughs> we'll move on to our final story this week. Story number five. Julie, tell us about eating al desco in France. Well, this is huge, this story. Huge. Um, you, as you know, um, the French has the Code de Travail, which is the, the um, work code. The law is set down about how long you should work and no emails at the weekend, 35 hours. Makes for a much more productive work population. Of course, in reality, none of it quite works out like that. But one of the most important uh, and well-respected is Article, um, um, I, I know this off by heart, Article 4228-19 of the Code de Travail, which says you cannot uh, eat lunch at your desk. It's completely illegal. Uh, it's, it's, it's extremely detrimental to um, your work relations and your mental health. And if um, you ever catch yourself doing it, you had to catch yourself on pretty smart and get out to the local cafe. Anyway, uh, given the situation working from home, it's quite hard to prevent people working, uh, to keep an eye on whether people are working from their desks or not. So that is going to be relaxed and we are now allowed to do so. Sit in front of our uh, Zoom meetings, uh, dressed as cats and eating our sandwiches. It's a shame. This I must think. be a worry for go. the cafe, cafe, the cafe owner. Is this not a worry for the cafe owners of well, they've got, such uh, as they've, they've got they've got some they've got uh, a lot more worry. The cafes aren't open anyway, so they've got other fish to fry, course, yeah. cats to whip, as you might say. Um, well, the fact is that people like having lunch away from the uh, away from their desks in France, even if you go to your. Um, work canteen there's always a you know a choice so there's a three course meal on there it's not your turkey twizzlers or any of that nonsense it's not just sandwiches it's always um uh how do you say that you you get um your meals cheaper if you eat in your workplace always um and local cafes you have if you go out to eat locally before you go back to the office they call that um the uh, cantina. They talk, you talk about your local restaurant being your cantina because you go there regularly. You develop a relationship. It gives you a break in the day. You're more inclined to work better in the afternoon. This way, you've French. You've drifted to another planet. You know, you're there to work. <laughs> there to work. Get a result. Get the business moving. So if it yeah, means but... your desk, sleeping at your desk, get it sorted. Do it. This can well, be protected by le code de travail. That's just nonsense. Well, now, you I'm only not, have to. I'm not anti-union. I'm not anti-union, but you know, at the same time, you know, you got work to do. Eat your, you know, if you need, if you need your sandwich at your desk, get it sorted. Move on. But one you thing work I really so do much admire. More proficiently. About, Sorry. One, on, one thing I really do admire about the French, though, is. Um, when I've worked in France and they bring in, you know, like in, I mean, I did a lot of training work before the pandemic. I'd go into people's offices and in the UK, you get a few sorry sausage rolls and a, a few little bits of sandwich and crisps that people fight over. And when I've worked in France, sometimes these, the stuff that gets brought in, it's beautifully presented. It looks lovely. It's kind of, it's proper cuisine. 
And there's a whole different expectation about what a lunch, a corporate lunch is. And now that is class, you know. Oh, you get that in totally. Italy, you get that in France. Steady you do not, get, you do not get it the in French, the UK. The French, come on. We get, we're, we're, we're the productive ones. Well, I believe we are. Well, <laughs> you look at the figures. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> Quickly moving on now. <laughs> I know you. we did this a while ago. Frank, the French are more productive. It's embarrassing. Do, do, Julie, tell us more. Go on. Because you have a, you know, you have a happier workforce, happy, well-fed, well-rested workforce. They're going to be more productive, aren't they? 35 hours a week. It's more than enough for anybody. A nice lunch break with good food. I mean, of course, you're going to feel more like getting back to work. You know, you're, you have a lot less. And, my, and, and of course, we don't even have a word for burnout. What is the French for burnout? Le burnout. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the English. It is le burnout because you know it didn't exist before these um, dubious working habits of eating is across the channel. Hideous, hideous Anglo-Saxon culinary traditions. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, we're going to have to call it a day, Julie. But if um, if by any chance, I'm happy to work on. I brought my meal with me. (laughs) (laughs) If by any, if by any, if by any chance. um, that, that you know we we meet up again post pandemic i can assure i can assure you we're all all three of us were going out to a cafe rather than eating our desk five in the eye <laughs> well that's it for another week i have a three course meal right here in front of me on my desk and i'm about to tuck in and thanks so much for our, our french bureau chief julie for giving us her insights and opinions this week it was my absolute pleasure and I look forward to returning again in the very near future. Remember, if you want to get in touch with us, please do visit our Facebook page and join us again next week when we're welcoming another old friend of the show, Kola Shanaiki. Until then, this is Phil Wifford saying goodbye. And this is Julie McDonald in Paris bidding you au revoir and wishing you well for the week ahead. And of course, it's me, Michael O'Hajuri, saying as always, if you have been, Thanks for listening. That's episode 0292 of Five in the Eye, packed onto a hovercraft. Hovercraft. (laughs) I love your writing, but it's so up to date. Packed on a hovercraft and sent across the channel. Abianto. Goodbye. Five in the Eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new?